We are in week two of our message series on prayer, Conversations with God. Last week we invited you to meet with God because the all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty creator of the universe wants to meet with you, loves you, and cares about you in a great deal. He wants to spend time with you. This week we're going to ask a question of God, and that question is, who are you? Who are you? Think about this question. It's unfathomable. It's an incredible, just mind-blowing question. Seriously, I think about this, just one sermon on this question. Yikes! Here I have to explain this to you or preach this, and I can assure you that this sermon is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, it's probably just the tip of the iceberg that's on a continent that is a glacier, if you think about it. In fact, whatever you currently know about God is also the tip of the iceberg. You can spend your whole life pursuing God, knowing the mind of God, and you'll continue to know God more and more and more, but there will always be so much more to know, my friends. Beloved, here is what is cool. It is so cool. God wants you to get to know him better. God wants you to know him. So how do we get to know God? Well, through conversations of prayer and getting to know his character as it's revealed in the Holy Scriptures and the Bible, you see, when we get to know God, really know him, it fills us with a hope and confidence because we realize that he is greater than any circumstance or situation we will encounter on this human journey. Understanding God's character and incredible love for us allows us to relax and trust him in every area of our lives. There are times in my life when I struggle, and pastors do this at times. I'm sure, Mark, you can say the same thing. He's probably like, wait a minute, what are you going to say? <laughs> I do at times struggle with fear, with doubt, with insecurities. Sometimes I worry about my future. I worry about my family. I worry about my ministry. I worry about my own life. However, the number one thing that helps me with all of that stuff is prayer. Prayer. And knowing God better. And receiving personal ministry from this God that desires to meet me in those circumstances and help me navigate my way through and grow through those circumstances. You see, prayer is an important key element of truly enjoying life and keeping tethered in this world. It all begins, I believe, from a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays in Philippians 3, verse 10. And this is from the Amplified Bible, so it's very amped up. But check this out up on the screen. For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may, in the same way, come to know the power 
overflowing from his resurrection, which exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in the spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope. What an incredible prayer. Imagine praying this in your conversation with God regularly. You see, God truly wants us to know him and interact with his character so his character can become our character, so that our lives can be guided and our heart, mind, and soul can be transformed to the utmost and perfected in love. You see, the Bible reveals many personal names for God, and these names fulfill personal ministry unto us. Each name reveals a unique aspect of his character with specific promises for our lives. So today we're going to look at some names of of God that leap out from the scripture and help fulfill personal ministry within us. I love Mark's prayer, and he mentioned one of the names of God, and that is Jehovah Jireh, which means God, my provider. From the scriptures, we know that God provides. And folks, God provides joyfully. Joyfully. He joyfully desires to provide for our lives. So God is a joyful provider. In the name Jehovah Jireh, there is joy by God of giving benefits that fill our lives with good and priceless things. Jesus gives us a view of rewards of a personal prayer in Matthew 6, 5-8. through 8. Let's look at this scripture as our Lord says these things from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love the praise standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I love what William Barclay writes about this passage of Scripture. He says, we do not come to a God who has to be coaxed or pestered or battered into answering our prayers. We come to one whose one wish is to give. When we, when we remember that, it's surely sufficient to go to God with the sigh of desire in our hearts and our lips, on our lips, the words, thy will be done. Jesus says, posture this way in secret. I love this song. When I was a youth pastor, it came out, and I used to sing it to our youth, and, and I would. I'd try to play it on the guitar as best as I could, and I loved singing it. It's called In the Secret by Sonic Flood, and it goes like this. In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness you are there, in the secret, in the hour I wait, only for you, because I want to know you more. I want to know you I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. And I would jam that thing on the guitar, trying these kids, get these kids to know that. Deep in their bones, in here. You see, Jesus tells us in the secret behind the closed door that we'll receive rewards from this joyful provider, Jehovah Jireh. 
What is the reward? It's not anything material. It's a reward of becoming a spiritually minded person who gets the mind of Christ, gets the mind of God within themselves and within every fabric of their being. It's sight set on the kingdom of God and kingdom living. One who experiences the benefits of living in that kingdom. It's God character. It's holiness. And no ticket price can be put on that type of reward. Contextually, Jesus is saying it's an inner satisfaction of the joy of doing the right things. And he even reaches back when he begins in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And you can read that. It's contextually talking about all of those beatitudes being inserted into right living. You see, folks, never forget that Jehovah Jireh wants to joyfully give this reward to you daily. Daily. Next, God wants us to know him as our wise counselor who we can trust to listen to our problems and guide us in the right direction. God always knows what we're going through. He always knows what the right course of action in that going through that we experience. No successful person can make life happen in a wellness way without wise counsel. I've lived my life, I've benefited from from coaches, tobacco farmers, pastors, teachers, friends, professional therapists, and so on, and many others. And their wise counselor is woven inside of me. You simply can't see me without seeing their wisdom of countless others. And you're no different, my friends. There's no self-made people here. That's a myth. If human counselors are vital and they're valuable, how much more vital and valuable is God's counsel? Listen to the words of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and God gave him the gift of wisdom. Listen to this in Proverbs 2, 6 through 11. He says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards their course, the course of the just, and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair. Every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, understanding will guard you do you see and hear this within the scriptures the assets of god's wise counsel the guarding the guidance the protection the way the path the way of walking long before the child was born and the son was given as isaiah foretold that god was planning to send this counselor a wise counselor a wonderful counselor for the broken-hearted people of the world What is evidence that Jesus Christ is the wise counsel? We see it fleshed out in his person and in his character. 
we read of and reflect on and appeal help from the one who became the wisdom of God for us, as the Apostle Paul wrote. That is Jesus Christ. And when we, when we take all that we know about Christ, it adds up to the marvelous truth that he is God, who is a wonderful and wise counselor for our daily living. Think about it. You can read it. Even as a child of 12, Jesus astounded the Jewish rabbis with his wisdom. Luke recorded that Jesus grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In his public life, people were blown away and amazed by his counsel. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogues, and they were astounded by his wisdom. They said things like, where did this man get this type of wisdom to do these mighty works? Later, the Apostle Paul wrote that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as we get to know him through prayer, folks, his wisdom is transferred to us. It's passed on to us. Christ is able to give us the needed direction for life. So God is our joyful provider wise counselor and God is also a gentle healer Mark said the same name in his prayer he said Jehovah Rapha that is mentioned 60 times in the Bible Rapha means to restore to heal to make of full health when Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown he unrolled the scroll and he really basically read his mission statement and it was from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and it was a prophecy about the Messiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You see, gentle healer is an integral part of God's character, my friends. God cares about every area of your life. Your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, and your spiritual vitality. And when we understand that God is Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, we recognize it is God that heals our hearts and our minds and our souls with personal Holy Spirit ministry. I've heard testimonies in this church. I've been here about three and a half years, and I know about many who have experienced amazing ministry from God. Lonely, but God possibly spoke to you to remind you that he loves you. Abandoned, but God met you right where you are. Addicted, but God stepped in and broke the chains. Betrayed by people you trusted, but God was still faithful. Physically ill with a scary diagnosis, but God healed you. Hopeless, but God gave you a reason to live. Ready to end it all, but God stepped in and saved you. 
You see, God heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. And so if you're facing these things or a maraud of other things, you can go to God in prayer, and he is your gentle healer. Today, after the worship service, you can receive prayer from one of our prayer partners. And you can ask our gentle healer in faith in that secret place to heal you, to restore you. And I guarantee God will do that. God always heals. Whether here on earth or in heaven someday, God always heals. God is our joyful provider, wise counselor, gentle healer, and God also reveals himself as a loving friend. Folks, when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are never alone. People may abandon you, but Jesus never will. The world, whoa. Let me preach in here, and I'm pushing this thing right off. And there goes my notes. <laughs> when you follow Jesus, you are never alone. People may abandon you, but Jesus never will. The world may reject you, but God in Jesus Christ accepts you. He's truly a loving friend. Many of us are blessed with great earthly friendships. But let me tell you, you've never had a friend like Jesus. Here's why. John 15, 13 through 15, Jesus says these words. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command... I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus didn't talk this. He walked this. His words of hope fell on people's lives like a breaking of a new dawn. And they were drawn to them. And what did they find? Did they find a distant God? No, they found a person in Jesus Christ that wanted to be their friend, that accepted them and schmoozed with them around campfires and everywhere, on lakes. And he ministered to them in a very personal way. And he said these words literally hours before he would voluntarily stretch out his arms and die on a cross. Why? Because of me, because of you, because of my sins and your sins have separated us eternally from God, the holy creator of all things. But God the Father sent God the Son as an act of love to come and lay down his life for us. And he lived that perfect life, a life that we could never live, and he freely gave himself for us. Real friendship is sacrifice. Real friendship, it gives of itself, not because you deserve it, but because you are loved. You are worthy because you are loved. Some of us look at God as, as a, a, a master or unpleasant boss or parent, so we put ourselves in a position of a servant of Jesus. And in many ways, we are God's servants, and it's an honor to be called that. It's like being an employee of P&G or Kroger or one of Cincinnati's great hospitals or businesses. It's an honor to be a part of something great. But our relationship with God is so much more, my friends. Jesus tells us that we are more than servants, that we are friends of God. And this friendship is fully possible because of what God did for us. 
to have us become friends. That's the amazing thing about friendship. You don't deserve or earn it. It's freely given as an act of love. You're a friend of God. And you might say, I don't think so. I think I've failed God too many times. So many times that we can never be friends. He wouldn't want to be a friend of mine. Nope, that's not who our God is. Stop looking at your failures and start looking at God's faithfulness. This is the most lopsided friendship that you'll ever experience, but it's okay because God is our loving friend. Finally, God is revealed everywhere in the Bible as Lord. That's not a term we use much these days, but when Roman emperors back in the day of Jesus, uh, they elevated themselves on a divine level, and they even put on the coin, Caesar is Lord. Romans worshipped a lot of gods, so this really worked for them. This is the environment where the early church was birthed. They lived. But they changed that creed. They gave a central creed. And they said, Jesus is Lord. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, we don't worship multiple gods. So when we say Jesus is Lord, it means that no one else is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Money's not Lord. Your cell phone's not Lord. Entertainment's not Lord. Your job's not Lord. Your retirement fund is not Lord. Your kids and grandkids aren't Lord. No, we boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And faith in Jesus isn't just some fire insurance policy to keep us out of hell. No, it's a life-changing experience with this creator of the universe, this Lord of all. It's a recognition of the fact that you aren't Lord. And it takes us to a place where Jesus instructed us at his table, at his table. It's that intimate moment with the person that we've been talking about and getting to know better. And we don't do this flippantly or in a routine manner. We're partaking of the sacrifice at this table, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come in a spirit of prayer, knowing that God hears us, speaks to us, and desires to meet us at this table of grace. Will you pray with me? Joyful provider, we meet you at this table that you provided for us, and we're thankful for your provision. Wise counselor, we need to hear your voice as we dine with you. Gentle healer, touch us as we receive your grace and healing this day at this table. Loving friend, we're thankful that you are not, we are not just your servants, that you call us friends of you, of God. And Jesus our Lord, we praise you because you gave yourself for us. So to God, now we prepare our lives for holy communion with you. Amen.